journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shavua Tov, my name is Adel Kozilski and I am with you for the next uh, 45, 50 minutes where we are going to be taking a break from our day and we are going to learn a little bit of Torah. I wish I could do this every single day. I'm sure if I said that really loud enough, I'd have uh, Kathy from Chayafim on me. But I'm glad to be with you. It's, an, it's, a, it's a great time just to, to stop work and to learn a little bit of godly wisdom. As you know, we transverse the Chumash. The five books of Moses, we are in chapter 39 of Genesis, and we are following the unbelievable story of our uh, forefather, um, not officially, but he in fact was um, in stature as great as our three forefathers, and whom I'm talking about, none other than Joseph. And uh, last week we went really through quite, uh, quite the hairy time that uh, he had with Mrs. Potiphar. And um, he's been thrown into the dungeon now. He's been thrown into jail where we are going to pick up. As always, I love to engage with you. Um, if you have a question or a comment, 34519 is our SMS line. 061-895-1019 is our telegram number. So if you're not driving and you're in the comfort of your home, your office, or you're eating your sami, you're wanting to listen to some good radio, chapter 39 of Genesis, open up a Bible and follow in with me. Verse 21, that's where we're going to start. Vayehi Hashem et Yosef, God was with Yosef. We see that a lot, okay, um, particularly with Joseph, that he's with him. Hashem is with each and every single one of us all the time. I think it's being emphasized here to teach us a very powerful lesson that God is with us all the time. And we just need to open up our eyes and see what was extraordinary about Joseph is that he had so many bad blows in his life. You know, um, the fact that God was with him and he became successful wherever he found himself um, just is kind of like more of an open miracle than trying to see it through natural eyes. Um, wherever he found himself, whether he found himself by his father by Potiphar in the dungeon, or he's going to find himself by Pharaoh, he always was unbelievably successful, and there was no question that God had to be with him. Vayete love chased, God extended kindness towards him. He had extraordinary kindness from God. And now he, um, he has found favor in the eyes of the warden um, of the dungeon. So even when he is in the darkest of darkest place at the bottom of the rung, um, you know, prison is known is known not to be the most, uh, you know, is not a place that anybody wants to go to. Uh, you know, things are really hairy down there. He still finds favor in the warden's eyes. And so because he found favor with the warden, the warden gives him power or places him above all the prisoners in the dungeon. Everybody um, that was there, well, Yosef was in charge of. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, and every, and he did everything that had to be done. So he becomes Mr. Organizer. He becomes the guy that is now running the prison. 
אין שר בית הסוהר רואה את כל מאומה בידו um, אשר השם איתו and the dungeon warden did not have to look after anything that was under his hand. Why? Because God was with him. And um, by God, by virtue of the fact that God was with him, everything that Yosef did, God made sure that he was successful. So we've got now version three of Yosef finding himself in a situation, learning to make things successful. Um, one of the, 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 the commentators go and tell us that one of the reasons why the warden was so magnanimous towards Yosef was the fact that he knew that Yosef also was innocent. Um, he saw that God was with him. He saw that God blessed him and everything he did. And so it was very, very, very easy to trust Yosef. Now, one of the other things just in talking about this is then you can go, well, why did Yosef, what, what was so extraordinary about Yosef receiving this benevolence from heaven? And so we are taught, our sages teach us that in order to receive blessing from God, let's talk about that just for um, a short while. In order to get a blessing from God, we are told that as physical beings in the physical world, we have to create a conduit. We have to create a vessel through which God's benevolence can flow. So, for example, um, if we are wanting to um, get a blessing for health, we need to ensure that we create a vessel for it. We make sure that we are looking after our bodies and so then God can bless us with health. If we are wanting to have work, we can't just sit down and, you know, um, on the couch in the morning and say, well, if God wants to give me money, he'll give me money. No, we have to go out. We have to create a job. We have to create a vessel through which God can bless us with money. And so it is with everything. Whenever you look um, at anything you, you, you need or you want or you desire, we need to create blessings for it. And the, the, the modus operandi of a Jew that we have 613 mitzvahs, 365 don'ts, 248 positives. Everything that we do is really, in essence, on a very deep level, creating vessels, conduits, connections are between heaven and earth, and that allows the benevolence, the hashpah from God to come down into this world. And even when you're trying to do something even miraculous, as we know, for example, if you look in the book of Kings, is the famous story of Elisha, um, who had to try and give money, make money for a, a widow, neighbor of his. What did he do? He asked her for a pot of oil, and then he used the pot of oil to fill up the many barrels for his widow's neighbor. Without the initial pot, the miracle would not have occurred. So in life, that's how it is. And then sometimes going, taking it even a little bit further, if one finds oneself in a situation where you desperately need a blessing, um, one should look at something one can do over and above what one is doing in order to expedite or make a new or to show God that you really, really are needing this blessing and go out and create a vessel through which the blessing can come. So when we are in difficult situations, we go and we give more charity. Charity is a vessel. We pray more. It's a vessel. We go and do another deed, an action. Any mitzvah keeps on connecting us to 
to heaven, to that, that, that flow of blessing that comes from heaven to earth. And then you say to Hashem, I'm going out and I'm going to convince somebody to put on tefillin today in the name of, uh, you know, whoever needs to get uh, a blessing for health, for example, that they're sick. That's how we work. What was extraordinary and unique about Yosef is that he had absolutely nothing. There weren't any vessels created, but he experienced a blessing. And that's why we have the fact that it says the dungeon warden did not see anything in his hand. Okay. Nevertheless, he still landed up going and um, having incredible blessing in everything that he did. Um, also, we are told that the warden was so pleased with Yosef that he gave Yosef easy work, like it wasn't that he, he was in prison and he had to do this hard labor like all the other prisoners. He just washed the wine cups for the warden, he made the bed, um, he gave him the easiest stuff because the warden really, really liked him. So if you want blessing in your life, then step out, create a vessel, create a, 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 a conduit through which God can give you that blessing. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Right, welcome back. You're speaking. You're you're with Adel Kozilski, and we are talking Bible stuff. We are talking the fact that Yosef, even in prison, Joseph, even in prison, landed up becoming unbelievably successful. And I kind of, if we want to put it like in modern terms, he certainly was a guy that took lemons and made them into lemonade. Moving forward, though, there was one person who did not want to let go and continued to make Joseph's life a misery. And that was none other than Mrs. Potiphar. Remember, she was the catalyst for getting him thrown into prison, but she would often come and visit Yosef in the dungeon. And um, the Midrash tells us that she would say to him, I caused you to suffer in this prison, and you are the jailer's servant when you used to be the master of an entire household. Now, if you still want to be stubborn, I will lower you even more. I will tell them to withhold your food. To which Yosef replied, but God gives bread to all flesh. Then she said to him, I will place you in chains. To which he would reply, but it is God who releases the bound. I will bend you and humble you, she would say. God raises the humbled. I will pull out your eyes. Yosef replies, God gives sight to the blind. I will sell you to a distant place. To which Yosef would say, God protects the stranger. And what we saw is that every day, Mrs. Potiphar would plead to Yosef to reconsider to no avail. I mean, her threats were more than useless, and they went on for close on 12 months. And the Midrash tells us that not a day went by where she didn't visit him, and she tried to tempt him. And for all her effort, Joseph was very was was pretty harsh with her because she couldn't even get Joseph to look at her, and whenever she spoke to him, he lowered his head and he looked at the ground, and that was just that alone was enough to drive her mad. And on occasion, she would place a sharp spike under his chin to force his head up. Nevertheless, all her shenanigans were of no use, and her desires remained 
desires for the rest of her life. What I found unbelievably interesting is the responses that Yosef gave to Mrs. Potiphar. Um, I'm going to stop your food. You don't have to. God feeds all flesh. I'm going to pull your eyes out. You don't have to because God gives sight. I'm going to tie you up. You don't have to because God, you know, um, releases me. Anything he did, he reverted back to God. And I couldn't help but think that if you go look back at the, the blessings that a Jew is obligated to say in the morning. If you open up a Siddur, if you've got a Siddur around you, we know that as soon as we wake up, we thank God for giving us back our soul. We wash our hands, we get dressed, etc., etc. And then in amongst the, the very early prayers, you will see there is a whole lot of blessings we say. They start with Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, Blessed are you God, our God, King of this world. And then we say all sorts of things. Pokeach Evrim, that you open up the eyes of the blind. Matira Surim, that you release the prisoners. Zoikev Kafufim, that you straighten up the bent. Malbisharumim, that you clothe the naked. Hanoten Laev Koyach, that you give the tired energy, etc. Hamechin Metzadei Gavir, that you control the, 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 the ways where, where, where man goes. And finally, we come to a point where we say, Sha'asali Kartoki, that you give me everything I need. Why am I telling you this? Because you could see the, 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 the level that Yosef was on. Nothing, and this was something that he, he, he never faltered about, ever. Okay, he had a horrible life. Let's 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 be frank with each other. He was a blue-eyed boy that was hated by his family. He had such horrible sibling rivalry that they kidnapped him and threw him away. Okay, um, he lands up in the house of Potiphar. He is a servant. Then he gets um, what's her name by Mrs. Potiphar. He gets framed by Mrs. Potiphar. He gets thrown into the, the prison. He's a young boy with no family, no infrastructure, no nothing. Today, we would go and say, well, that's why he was a drug addict. That's why he, he murdered. That's why he did. But yes, it doesn't. He sees Hashem taking him in each and every single path. Wherever he is, God is with him. Because he's created that vessel, God's blessing is abundant, and he is not afraid of anything. And this is something we need to recognize. That's why in the morning we say these blessings. Because, hey, yes, I know that you've got so and so much in your, um, your, your, your cupboard, okay, and, and clothes, and you think that you bought them because you made money and you went to the shops and you bought. No, God has clothed you. God has given you your sight. God is leading you on the path that you should lead. God has put you into the traffic jam right now. God has raised you up and is giving you the strength to carry on. God is with you every second of every day. And if one comes to a state of understanding that, and then one comes to a state of um, gratitude that all of this is coming from God, then a lot of fear and anxiety leaves us. That's number one. And number two, one does not feel manipulated, subservient, or under the, the yoke of your bank manager, your spouse, your mother, your whoever it is you want to blame it on. You don't have to do anything you don't, that, that, that you feel is wrong. You need to know that you are answerable to God. 
yes, you need to behave in an appropriate way that God deems appropriate, and God is looking after you, period. You wake up in the morning, you say to yourself, thank you, God. I know it's you that's, that has fed me, that has clothed me, that has given me back my soul, that has allowed me to function, and the whole world is filled with your light and with your benevolence. And then you go about your day. Will you hit, uh, you know, um, barriers in the world, or challenges? Or will, 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 will there be tough times? Yes, there will be. It's not that it doesn't. It's not a, a trick that gets rid of that. But you actually attack the problems in a completely different manner. And so I think this is a very, very powerful lesson. I'd love to know your thoughts. If you see God in your life each and every single day, do you thank him for his benevolence? that you're awake today, that you're listening to the radio, that you know, you've know you had such and such a day. We need to show gratitude and we need to be cognizant that God is running the world. I'd love to know your thoughts, 34519 or 061-895-1019. I'd like now to take over um, a, 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 take a tangent now for the rest of the time that we have together and explain another concept and we've had this concept before because as we go about learning um, Chumash it comes up often but I, I want to expand on it somewhat more and that is the concept that there is divine justice in this world you know today we look at the world and we see so many unfair things we see people landing up with the short end of the stick we see evil people getting away literally with murder. And there can, can be the argument of where is God in all of this? How could this have happened? And of course, we know that like, those type of questions were asked of the Holocaust and um, of other like really horrible experiences that you know, we've either come into contact with or heard about. We kind of like sit back and go, how could such a thing happen. If one understands that there is divine justice and that for every cause there is an effect, for every action there is a reaction, good and not good, then one is able to come to a place of acceptance, of knowing that I don't understand this right now and I'm not sure why this has happened right now, or why I am, and I'm putting in inverted commas, being punished, but I do understand that nothing happens again, haphazardly, and there is a reason for it. Why am I telling you all of these things? Because at the end of the day, we've gone through understanding what happened with Joseph, Joseph being the blue-eyed baby of the family, the brothers not liking Joseph, Joseph having to go down into, into Egypt. We've spoken a lot in our previous uh, shows about the fact that whilst there was sibling rivalry and hatred and everything like that on a practical level, on a much deeper level, Joseph was fulfilling destiny. And the destiny is, as we all know, because in two weeks' time we are going to be celebrating that holiday specifically. I'm talking about the holiday of Pesach. Joseph had to go down into Egypt in order to prepare Egypt for the mass immigration of Jews there, 
so that they will be enslaved there, so that there will be ten plagues, so that they will come out to receive the Torah. This entire story was um, communicated to our forefather Abraham in a covenant that he made called the Brit Ben Haptarim, the covenant between the parts. It was already known in Jewish history that down the line there was to be an exile in Egypt. So while on a practical level there was sibling rivalry and kidnapping and coming and going, on a much deeper level, destiny was being fulfilled. And I've spoken a, a, a lot about that. And if you want to hear more, go back and listen to the previous shows. But having said that, nevertheless, the selling of Yosef costs the Jewish people dearly. Because at the end of the day, the manner in which he landed up going down to Egypt was cruel. And most importantly, okay, it was wrong. The brothers of Yosef were guilty of kidnapping and selling their brother. Yes, it was divine providence that Yosef had to go down to Egypt, but God's got 25 billion ways that he can get somebody to go down to Egypt. The fact that he went out to Egypt by this mechanism, by the inter, by, if I can put into in, in inverted commas the interference of the brothers, the brothers will have to be stood in judgment. Even, even and even if you can argue the brothers were fulfilling the motive of 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 Abraham, okay. You can't kidnap your brother, and you can't sell your brother. Maybe. You could have even gone and said, we have a prophecy from our forefather Abraham that we have to go to Egypt. You know, he has, he has a horse and carriage and go down to Egypt and see, see where God takes you. Don't kidnap him. So why am I telling you all of this? Because for every deed we do in this world, good and the opposite, there is a, a result, good or the opposite. For every action, there is a reaction. You know, there's a famous saying, a famous uh, little, um, if you took him in the in Pirke Avot, in the Ethics of Our Fathers, where it says that Hillel was once walking down by the banks of a river and he saw a skull bobbing up and down. And he said to the skull, know that he who killed uh, you landed up dying because you killed somebody. But know that he who killed you will also land up being punished will also get their recompense. What is that meaning is that there is divine justice. You cannot get away with doing something wrong without being punished for it or having a rectification over it and vice versa. Even if today you walked into the parking lot and you gave five cents to somebody and you figured it didn't make a dent, you will still be rewarded for it. Now, sometimes, in, sometimes divine justice straddles worlds and times. So when we look back at history, we look through the lens of reincarnation and we understand that many times souls come back into this world. A generation later, 20 generations later, there's no, I don't know the rules and regulations of how and when they come back, but they do come back and they're put into situations where they need to rectify 
any wrongdoing that they have done. And that's why we say today that we are reincarnated souls. 99.99% of us are all reincarnated souls. We have been here before, not once, not twice, probably many, many, many times. And we're here in the circumstances that we find ourselves now in order for us to correct certain things, to work out, okay, um, certain things to do. And this is, this is what we, uh, we, uh, we, 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 we are here for. So, firstly, concepts like déjà vu or people having some types of memories of I've been here before are not um, shushued away in Judaism. There is the concept of reincarnation. And what I want to share with you just um, after the break, when, when we get back, is that you will see that the selling of Joseph cost us dearly as the Jewish people. So don't go away. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Right, so let's go now specifically into the selling of Yosef by his brothers based on our discussion. We're told that there is a, an, a prosecuting angel in heaven and he ensures that everybody gets divine justice. Um, his name is Samael and he tried to denounce um, all the brothers of Yosef through their lifetime saying to God that they need to die because it says in Exodus chapter 21, verse 16, there's a halacha, excuse me, a law. If a person kidnaps a man and sells him, he shall die. And um, he kept on pushing and pushing and pushing and saying that the, um, the, brother, the, the brothers need to have that punishment. Nevertheless, um, it seemed that divine justice was pushed off and the brothers passed on. The story of Pesach takes place. 800 years onwards, Samael in heaven is still denouncing the brothers um, and that they need to, their sin needs to be expiated. And so we are told in the Zohar and from the teachings of the Arizal, um, which is the Kabbalistic works, that the brothers reincarnated. Now, what's very interesting is that 10 of the brothers reincarnated. Um, and before I um, explain who they got reincarnated to, why 10? There were 11 of them. Now, if you recall, Yosef, Yosef was the 12th, okay? There's 11 brothers left. Reuven, the brother who tried to save him was not around when Yosef was kidnapped and sold. He was in mourning, if you remember. He was doing his own repentance. So he heard all the brothers arguing. He told them, well, put him into a pit because he had intention that while the brothers were sitting and eating and doing the things that he would come and save Yosef. And he goes away. In the meantime, the brothers throw him into the pit and then suddenly everything changes and the Yishmaelites come by, and as we say, the rest is history. So Ruvain is not counted 
in the expiation of that of 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 that of that sin. Okay, um, and so when we talk about the reincarnation, we are talking about ten of the brothers being reincarnated, because each and every one of the ten that were present at the uh, what you call it at at the kidnapping and and consequent selling, they need to get the death penalty. And who were they? Well, if you look down towards the time of the destruction of the Holy Temple, 10 of the greatest sages that lived there were given into the hands of the Romans. And um, we know them today as the 10 martyrs. We read about them on Yom Kippur. We know about them on Tisha B'Av because each and every one of them were great, great rabbis and they died horrific deaths at the hand of the of 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 of, uh, of Edom of of the, of, the, of the Roman Empire. So the ten souls of Jacob's sons were taken out of paradise, out of Gan Eden, and they were placed um, into the bodies of the rabbis. Who are the ten uh, martyrs? I'm going to read a list where. Most authorities agree there is one or two, which I will mention afterwards, where they swap one or two or three of the rabbis around. The first was Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel. He was the father of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, who was, and he was born in uh, 50 of the Common Era, just before the destruction of the Holy Temple. So his father, Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel's father, was the head of the Sanhedrin, very, very great rabbi. There's Rabbi Yishmael ben Elisha, he was a Kayan Gadol. He was in. He was born in 73 CE. I'm giving you uh, the non-Jewish dates so that you just can have a little bit more um, context. Rabbi Akiva, the famous Rabbi Akiva, right? He assumed leadership um, in 100 CE. So he lived around that time. Those were the three main, very big guys. And then the other uh, seven were Rabbi Yehuda ben Bava, Rabbi Hanania ben Triadon. Rabbi Yeshavav the scribe, Rabbi Elazar ben Dama, Rabbi Hanina ben Chakinai, Rabbi Chutzpanit the translator, and Rabbi Elazar ben Shamua. He was the greatest genius of his time. He was known as the Toivo de Chakimei, the best of the sages. And Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi was his student. Okay, he was around 121 of the Common Era. Some authorities do not count. Uh, three of them, and they substitute Rabbi Hanina uh, ben Chakinai, Rabbi Elazar ben Dama, and Rabbi Elazar ben Shamua, with Rabbi Yehuda the Baker, ben Azai, and Rabbi Tarfon. Nevertheless, we're talking here conceptually. The ten souls of Yosef uh, brothers become reincarnated into ten of the greatest sages um, of the, the time around the temple, and they land up, land up being horrifically killed. Why? Because he who kills, who he who kidnaps and, uh, and and sells a person is liable for the death penalty. Now, um, one of the reasons why there was also um, ten martyrs is that. It wasn't just that they kidnapped, kidnapped and sent him off, but we are told in the Midrash that they actually tormented Yosef in 10 ways. Firstly, number one, 
they had their dogs attack Yosef with the intent to killing him. Because when Yosef came on the instruction of Jacob to go find his brothers, he came into the field. And you remember, we've, we've learned this. And if you don't remember, go back and look at the verses. They set out their, those dogs that looked after the sheep and whatever. They were like, like wolves, like foxes. They set him out on Yosef with the intent of killing him. Yosef was powerful enough, spiritual enough to ward that off. Second, how did they torment him? They stripped him naked. They took away his dignity. Thirdly, they put him into a pit. Fourthly, they sold him to the Ishmaelites. Fifth, what happened? The Ishmaelites sold him to the Midianites. And the Midianites sold him to the slave merchants. Seven, he was beaten all along the way, Yosef. He was sold again when he got into Egypt. Because of all of this, he landed up having trouble from Potiphar's wife. And then Potiphar's wife threw him into jail, where he remained for 12 years. Now, while this, you can go and argue, is not my fault, it was her fault, it was that fault, it was that fault. Hey, guys, if you hadn't thrown him into the pit and sold him, he wouldn't have had all this trouble. Can you see divine justice here? Divine justice is very nitty-picky. So you can go and excuse yourself and say, well, I, it's not my fault. I don't have anything to do with this. You know, this is where, where you know, this, this had nothing to do with me. It's like three times removed. The brothers were held responsible for them, for it. It was your fault that Joseph now landed up in jail because if you hadn't sold him, he wouldn't have. It was your fault that he got beaten up because if you hadn't sold him, he wouldn't have been beaten up. It's your fault. Can you see? And so what we've got to understand is that every action that we do is as, as what's the name, as important, every positive action we do is as important as every negative. And we need to be cognizant of that because for every action, there is a reaction. And for every um, cause that we cause, there is an effect and we are going to be held responsible. You know, we tend to be a society where we try to jippo our way out of things. Okay. And um, this is this is something that we need to keep in mind. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Okay, so I think we just need a wrap-up of other ideas, and I think the ideas today are very powerful. The first is to realize God runs the world. He's running your world right now, every single day, every second. And uh, we are told by uh, the previous Rebbe that if God, God is so intimately involved in our world that if there is a worm on the ground and a leaf falls from the tree and it covers the worm, that is Hashgacha Pratis, that is divine providence. God is looking and watching and doing and, and, and moving along everything that there is in this world. That's number one. Number two, show gratitude because everything you have comes from God, not from your bank manager, from your bank account, from the shops, from whoever it is that you think. They are only conduits. And when we, when we want the conduit of blessing to flow, we need to open up vessels. And finally, every action that we take has a reaction. And we should really be focused in our lives to make sure that that which we do is positive because who wants to deal with a negative reaction? On that note, I'm going to love and leave you and wish you a beautiful, a beautiful day and a beautiful week ahead. I'll be back same place, same time next week. Shabbat Tov. <laughs>